Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 17th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, I can't believe you're leaving today. Yeah, I'm headed off to Reno. I hope no one shoots a man just to watch him die. Or... <laughs> I didn't think you knew anything about Johnny Cash, to be honest with you. Oh, I love, I love the Cash. You oh, know, cool. a, uh, You know, there's a big uh, display for him at the uh, the uh, Folsom County Prison in uh, near Hunter uh, Valley Casino Resort. So went down and checked them out. So that was a good movie, too. Of course, too. they start to do uh, shooting men and watching them die jokes in this current age. <laughs> so, I'm glad you got it. I hope everybody else got it. Yeah, it's just a joke about a song. That's all it is. Don't write us. <laughs> well, not with that. You can write us with other stuff, but, but not that. <laughs> I didn't think you were yeah. leaving today. I thought you were going tomorrow. No, no, no. Uh, our big uh, Andy Up Tour event at Atlantis Casino Resort Spa starts tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, I was originally going to go out tomorrow, but uh, the wife got an extra day off. She's coming with me this time. She's nice. Since our Pensacola event, as she uh, came with me on an Andy Up Tour event. So, that's kind of fun. So, she actually got an extra day off, so we changed our flights and everything. So Very cool. We're getting in very, very late tonight, and we will be up bright and early and down there for one. The uh, fun kicks off tomorrow, and uh, really looking forward to this. Our first time at Atlantis Casino Resort and Spa in Reno. Uh, fantastic resort. Um, I was just checking out the spa today online, so you know, gonna get pretty when I'm out there probably. <laughs> and, uh, but no, uh, they uh, they do, do do great tournaments there, and I'm very, very, very excited about playing in their um, tournament area, which overlooks the mountains. I think that's gonna be really, really cool. Like, I'm trying to think, the last time I played anywhere uh, poker with windows. <laughs> right. <laughs> that have a beautiful view like uh, that we're going to have there. So that's great. Uh, for everybody else, if you don't know already, uh, the event will run through August 26th. It features 18 events, a dozen satellites, and more than $350,000 in guaranteed prize money. And, of course, the winner of the main event appears on the cover of Antioch Magazine. All the info can be found at antiochmagazine.com slash Atlantis. Um but uh, as we talked about some interesting events, this is eight game mix that I still haven't practiced yet. I might have to do that on the plane. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot, a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, good hotel rates as well too. It's a beautiful resort, um, so uh, definitely uh, the discount code is at that website, antietmagazine.com/slash/atlantis. So call and be sure you get your discounted room rates because there is a limited number of them. So don't use Laura as your guinea pig to learn those games. <laughs> I well, you know, here I don't know actually now because you know when she decided to come, uh, she's like, "What else is there to do in Reno?" I'm like, "Oh, Reno's a great town. There's all kinds of fun stuff. We can drive to Tahoe for a day. Uh, we got tickets for Alice Cooper tomorrow night, and so a lot going on." So I thought she was going to be occupied, right? And mm -hmm. then she eventually said, "You know what? 
it's been a long time since I played poker. Do you do you think there are some events that I can play? And I'm like, hey, if you want, if you got the money, they'll take it. <laughs> and for the last couple of weeks, she's been playing on, uh, I, I think it's WSOP.com's play site, but it could be some other app. But uh, she's been playing. Nice. And she's got some other friends in town that she's playing with online. And uh, the other day, we got ready to go to dinner. And I'm like, let's leave at 7. She was all right. She's like, okay, I got, I'm like, all right, we're ready. I'm like, she's, I'm in the middle of a hand, relax. <laughs> wow. So, uh, yeah, so the wife's getting a little more serious. Now, of course, yeah, you're right. She uh, probably is not going to be able to comprehend drama hall um, on the plane. In fact, I'm not even sure I can comprehend it on the plane. But, yeah. But uh, it will be interesting. Uh, I think there's only, like, one tournament that uh, she's going to be able to play while we're there. But she's aching to play it, so. Well, the reason I say that, too, is because I, I can recall trying that myself, like, you know, you go to my family's on a Friday or something, and we're playing for fun. And then I'm like, hey, you know, I'm about to go play this new game in my home game tomorrow. You know, it's called uh, Badusi or something. Let's play it. And, of course, they have no idea what they're doing. And at least I have a little bit of knowledge on how to, you know, play poker. So, you know, I, I basically just destroy my family in the game. I get all confident. Then you play in the home game, and you're like, it's not going the way it went last night with the folks. Not quite the same. Right? Yeah, yeah, so you don't you don't want to try. Uh, you think you're all confident, like, oh man, I'm destroying my wife on the plane in this drama. Huh? No, you don't want to do that. So, <laughs> uh, and again, that candy, uh, that code for the thing is M anti Mike, like Michael M, like Michael M anti eighteen for the uh, hotel rooms. Get those rates and come out and see us. And uh, look forward to seeing some of our Thunder Valley friends as well too coming up. Yeah. But, uh, but there's also um, uh, some Reno friends I haven't seen in a while too. So if you're anywhere near the area, you want to come out and play. Come out and find me. I'll be there every day. Sweet. All right. Uh, after 499 episodes, 2 Plus 2 has announced it is suspending its uh, podcast indefinitely. Uh, Mason Malmuth says it's just not financially feasible to continue the podcast. Certainly understand that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we make almost no money on this and almost never have. But um, So a couple things. One, um, I, they could have squeezed out one more episode. I know. That's what I was wondering. What's the deal? I mean, what, what, there's probably got to be some phobia out there that I have where I like nice round numbers, right? Other than when I'm betting online. Well, we just kind of talked about this before. Yeah, I know, except when you bet online with those ugly stacks. But didn't we talk about this with, like, the was it the World Series where you, like, couldn't have lasted one more hand? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. They, they to make it, like, the, 300 yeah. hands or something? Yeah, so, right, I mean, you right. do have this sort of uh, OCD or something when it comes to the numbers. But it is kind of, I mean, that is sort of a milestone monumental. I remember way long ago when we passed our 500th episode. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> the thing about these guys, too, that always sticks in my craw was they tried to say that uh, they invented the term poker cast. And they want. Well, I'm not so sure they did. I think somebody told us they said that. Well, so. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, but it was somebody who was like best friends with one of them or something. <laughs> so I'm like, and they're like, they're gonna come after us to tell us to stop, like cease and desist, to stop yeah, using I, it. And I'm like, I, first yeah, of all, I we invented it. <laughs> I said seriously. All the past, if it even was true, I'm not sure it was true. Yeah, I don't either. But that that's yeah, what I always the, think of. Well, they did start before us, so we'll give them credit for that. In January, uh, January 2008, we started in June 2008. Uh, yeah, no, but, but the show didn't start then. Our show started in 05. That's why I took it off the fight. Well, that's so right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, you're right. Yes, I don't I'm know sorry. why you brought that up, because it's like, no, the magazine started. Oh, no, I know. I get confused on that, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> you just took three years of our life and said, ah, screw it. That didn't mean anything. <laughs> they weren't as good as our last three years, so. We started way before them. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, people, I, I actually never listen to them. I don't listen to our own shows. <laughs> it's yeah. not that I was judgmental on 
audit. Uh, but um, but but I know a lot of people over the over the years have told us that they they listen to it as well too. So you know, one less uh, poker voice out there. Um, you know, selfishly that's good for us, but uh, the poker community it's never good when we lose another voice. So no, I mean, and I remember that I watched. I think I listened to it in the beginning a few times. Um, it, before it was two plus two, it was something else. They're out of Canada or something, and then they—I don't know—I can't remember how that one went. But um, it was—it was really technical, a lot of it, because they're really smart. And those are the guys that wrote all the, the books and everything. And and it was just—it was if that's what you want out of your game, that's what you get. If you want to listen to two guys who know what they're doing and who don't know what they're doing, you listen to us. So <laughs> I was just gonna say, I'm like, you just said the same thing about the same people. Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, you know, I. But yeah, it's sad. It's sad that another another one goes away. Um, but yeah. You know, we keep they keep tossing them up there. We keep knocking them out of the park. I guess we're still around. Well, yeah, I guess it's the approach you want to take as well, too. As we mentioned, I mean, it's it's not easy making money uh, with these things. In fact, actually, we don't try very hard. <laughs> Never really have, uh, but we do it for the love of it. And uh, you know, it's it's an hour a week that I still look forward to, and um, and I know our listeners still do too, too. So even though it's it's not financially feasible for us, it's so important. Uh, to us uh, from Annie up to do it uh, but I certainly am not going to criticize somebody else that says you know hey that, that's the bar for them it's got to be something that puts coin in the pocket yeah so, I'm going to I'm going to actually call Mason and say hey how'd you how'd you do it <laughs> can you give Scott a call and say hey you got to take a break well, it helps when you have the most popular forum in the world uh, poker forum in the world uh, mm. that but um, you know it, it is possible there are podcasts that make a lot of money so I'm not saying it's impossible but it's it's definitely difficult in, in our realm um, these days. So, yeah. but sorry, right, see a federal jury in Illinois has issued a three hundred fifteen million dollar verdict against Scientific Games Corp., which now owns Shuffle Master, in a lawsuit brought by Shuffle Tech International, which says Scientific Games made it impossible to compete by filing a number of baseless patent infringement lawsuits. Scientific, uh, whose deckmate Shuffler controls, quote, 100% of the relevant U.S. market, unquote, according to the suit, says it will appeal. I, I don't know what to make of this, so I don't know. Well, I think this is a long time coming, is what I'll say. Um, and, and I'm not saying so much in the legal sense. I mean, um, you know, I, I travel a lot. I talk to a lot of poker managers. One of the things that, that poker managers do not like is monopolies mm-hmm. um, for their stuff. So whether it's... Um, uh, you know, Bravo, or with this card player before us, or whether it's uh, the deck made here. Uh, not that they don't like those three companies I just mentioned. Uh, they just don't like when they control everything and they are the only person to go to. So right. um, they're always looking for—I shouldn't say all of them—but um, but a lot of them I talk to are always looking for options um, and alternatives. And particularly uh, this one, I know, is one that, that's kind of driven them crazy because a lot of them, you know, look at the the costs of installing these things, the cost of main, main, uh, their rental after that. You buy them and then you still have to pay a service fee. That's pretty big on it. Um, and th- that kind of drives a lot of them crazy, I know, over the years. Um, and then particularly, they, you know, a couple of them told me that the customer service had slacked off. So, um, And I guess you don't need to put a lot of time and effort into something when you put all your time and effort into lawsuits to be sure that nobody else can compete with you, right? So, right. Um, so you know, I, I don't know where this is going to go. Obviously, appeals, you know how this stuff goes. It take, could take forever. But um but if it does at some point open up the market, um, I think that's uh, that's a good thing for poker rooms, probably poker players as well too. Because um, you know, actually, we got an email, or actually, I might have been a Facebook message this week from someone um, saying that someone wrote um, 
uh, it was a big pro. I can't remember exactly who he said, but it was talking about how rakes are creeping up now, and that's bad for players. And uh, I'm not going to get into that whole thing on the show today, but um, but it, it is there is a cost to offer a poker room to players, and uh, the more that those costs can be limited the less likely rooms are to increase the rake or take away other fun stuff that makes you want to go. So um, if we can get competition in this particular area, um, I think that's a good thing for poker. I agree. I also see that if someone talks long enough, they'll answer every question that could possibly, because I had like all these things I was going to ask you, and you answered all my questions for me while you were talking. <laughs> so I don't have anything to ask you now. I was like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And then, but you're like answering those questions while you kept talking, so... I can't interrupt you because it's not like we're next to each other. I can tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, I'm going to ask you something. And I'll tell you, players love the the shuffle. Well, I shouldn't say all these players. Uh, Players that are constantly looking at the backs of cards hate shufflers uh, because they're like, hey, there's a mark on that card. And everybody has to say, yes, it's in the shuffler. Every card has a mark on it. They're all the same mark because they all get chewed up by the the shuffle. But most people really, really like them. And you see that when you play in tournaments – where they, if they don't have enough tables with the the shufflers in there, they they do hand shuffle. Um, so everybody's on a fair pace, right? Yeah. Uh, or at least theoretically a fair pace, depending on the speed of your dealer. But um, but yeah, they 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 don't like that. Obviously, and I imagine I'm going to guess that dealers don't really. I'm sure dealers would prefer to have a machine shuffle their cards for them yeah. as well. Yeah. So. It's 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 really become kind of a um, a must have in your poker room now. So, um, and that that makes it difficult again at the expense of it. So, well, we'll I remember and, and I remember how upset I got when we were in Vegas in that poker room would charge us an hourly rate to play and then wouldn't use the shuffler. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm it, like, wait, there's a shuffler right there. Why can't you put it at that table? Oh no, let's not deal. And I'm like, no, they're going to take forever to shuffle. It's going to cost us more hands. We're going to get. So I walked out. I wouldn't yep. do it. So you can see, I mean, that's we love the shufflers. We just don't like the rooms getting basically raped for it. So hopefully well, this will do what you said. You know, I, you know, I don't make them. I don't know what it costs. I, I just know that the, 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 uh, the Shuffle Tech International has claimed that they can do it uh, less expensively. But they keep getting uh, hit with these patent infringement suits. So we'll see what happens. All right. Over the best. Uh, Any updates? Join our Annie Up Fans group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Annie Up Fans. And we love hearing from our fans. If you have a hand of the week, a listener spotlight, or a call the floor submission, email us at podcastannieupmagazine.com or post in the Annie Up Fans group on Facebook. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Daniel Bridges, his Bo's distant cousin, I think. It says, uh, I had a hand recently that I felt like a, a bit of an idiot about. It was either ridiculous or standard, and I can't decide which. It was a 2-3 no-limit hold'em cash game at the Star in Sydney. I had $210 and picked up the Queen of Hearts, Ten of Hearts in late position. An aggressive player who had been raising every hand in this orbit raised under the gun to 15 bucks, and there were two callers ahead of me. I called. The flop came down, Queen of Spades, Ace of Hearts, Nine of Hearts, giving me middle pair and the second best flush draw. 
the preflop razor bet 55 bucks and it was folded to me. I went all in and the villain thought for a couple of minutes before calling. Turn and river bricked for me. He turned over ace of spades, three of clubs, and won the hand. Straight afterwards, I felt like an idiot. Why push there? But as I have thought about it, I thought the following. One, I don't think I can fold for a $55 bet, given he was so loose and I had hit that flop so hard. So do I call or raise? Two, if I call, the pot would have been $187 and I'd have $140 behind. Even if I don't hit a heart, am I really folding if he bets the turn? And three, if I raise, is there an amount I can raise that isn't committing me to the pot? Really interested in your thoughts about how much of an idiot I am or am not in this instance. Am not, I say. You say am not. Am not. Yeah, I think this is a, it's a pretty good play here. I mean, you don't necessarily have to make this play here. But, um, you know, he had middle pair. He had a flush draw. Um, and he's up against a player who's kind of loose. So if you're up against a tight player, I'd give him much more credit for having an ace. But even if he had an ace, um, you know, I you still got you're given probably the favorite here, depending on what you're up against. Um, well, maybe not the favorite, but pretty close, close enough to at least to do it. But by raising, then you put your opponent to the test rather than you being put to the test, right? Hmm. So two good things can happen you know either one he folds and then you win with the worst hand um that's great or two he calls and then you improve and you win um and then there's that third thing that happens where he calls and you don't improve and he wins which is what happened here but so result oriented it, it's it's difficult but you made him think and i really think he made you didn't make a loose raise i think you made a good raise he made a very loose call i think uh, I'm going to call our friend Daniel Am Not Shyamalan. I think. I think. Uh, I think he Am Not uh, made up. The only thing I would do, I like to do with these is I like to have the over cards um, when I got the flush draws. I don't like to be like that. For instance, in this particular case, this guy had the ace, so he was emboldened to call. But if it's something like I have ace queen and the flop comes all babies with two hearts. Right. Then, no, I got that out, that extra six outs maybe, where if the ace or the king comes, I might still win on top of it. In this case, you know, you had to improve, and you probably knew you had to improve, but I agree with Scott. When I saw it was ace tray, I was like, wow, that's really loose. I mean, he could – now, the other thing, too, is we don't know what this person has in front of him for a stack, so I don't know if that $55 – bet that he made was like half his stack already and then when you shoved it's only 55 uh, you know so i don't know how much he had left to call but if it was you had 140 or whatever it was left and then he had you covered and it cost him another hundred and whatever to call then i think i agree with scott that was a real loose call you know because even if he's even if if he thinks you have an ace he knows he's behind if you have an ace and he's got a hope for like all overs to your kicker to split so that was a really loose call on his part. I don't think you made a mistake. I just I prefer not to do it with um, an overcard to my top pair or whatever. I'd rather just have overs and whatever. But in this case, you had a pair and a second nut flush draw, and you made a really good raise, and this guy still called you with ace trace. So to answer your other questions, yeah, I don't think there's a raise there you make that he folds to. If he can call his whole stack off with just a pair of aces and a, the, almost the worst kicker possible... I don't know what raise gets him off. So maybe you could call, and then on the turn, 
Maybe he checks behind. He checks, I mean, you can check behind and get that river for free. And then when he shoves on you there or when he bets out there, you can say, my queens aren't good. So I think you could have preserved your stack a little more there, uh, playing a little more passively. But I do think your your play, I feel like your play was should have been enough to get Ace Trey off that hand. Um, uh, and because we know now, hindsight, we know now that it wouldn't have, then I guess the way to do it would have been just call and then see if because you called his big bet, he checks the turn. And then you check behind, and you get that free look at the flush. And on the river, if he bets, if he bets something reasonable, you might call just to see if he was drawing too. And if he bets something huge, you're like, well, I only got queens. I don't even have top pair. And then you can get out of there. So, um, yeah, I think it's a different way you could have played it, but I don't think the play you made was bad. So don't don't think you're an idiot. Well, I definitely uh, hear what you're saying about wishing you had the two over cards, but I'll say this. I also wish the Christy Brinkley would flirt with me in the Ferrari. So, you know. <laughs> If we're gonna dream here, all right, let's dream. But let's let's play the hand we've been dealt here, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, I still think it, it was pretty good. But um, and I think you did a good job of explaining the only really good justification for the call because he's right in this in the second question. Um, if he just called and then our opponent um, made any sort of bet on the turn, then you're committed at that point. But there is an, uh, a possibility that uh, he would check, and then you can check behind and then make that assessment on the end. Because at that point, yeah, you're right. On the river, if we don't improve by the river, and now we're facing a river bet, um, I, I'm much more comfortable laying this down. But um, even at that point, but um, but I don't think with, with this the way this guy has been described, I can't. The chances of a, a thinking of getting a free card out of him are are, are not high enough for me to avoid. Uh, shoving here and putting him to a test. So. Yeah, yeah, he did seem loose, and he, he said that he raised every hand, so he's pretty aggressive. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or your home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Some guy named Vic G sent us something this week. Says, uh, we're in a 1-2 no limit hold'em game in a Florida card room. Heads up on the river, my opponent checks, and I announce all in. My opponent shows six, places it atop her other card, and slides both cards well forward toward the board and taps the table. I take this as her saying, I'm folding trips, good hands, sir. I smile, show her a king, and quickly retrieve my stacks of chips. Here's when it goes off the rails. Before the dealer can muck her cards, she, she reaches out and slides them back in front of her. She says that she never said fold, nor had her, nor had her cards touch the muck. She claims that it's still her action. I immediately had the dealer call the floor. I argue that she clearly intended to fold as her actions illustrated. She showed me a card, so I reciprocated once the hand was over. This is clearly an angle, and I and her hand should be dead. I go on to say that the current high-hand promotion muddies the water since I would have likely tabled a full house. She's smart enough to know all of this and is clearly shooting an angle. The floor isn't one of their better floor persons and rules that since she didn't save fold and her cards are retrievable, then action is on her, and it's my responsibility to protect my hand. This is obviously the wrong call, or at least I hope that Ellie agrees with me. She calls, I show my full house, and rake in the pot. Was that the correct ruling? Elliot says, this is an interesting one. <clears throat> the villain exposed a card but said nothing. Tapping the table when there's a bet to be acted on by that player means nothing. Let me repeat that. If someone bets and I tap the table, it means nothing. does not mean um, that it means what the better needs or wants for it to mean. Uh, in the old days prior to casino poker becoming the prevalent way of enjoying the game, to tap meant to bet all of one's funds. 
Those days are gone for good. But I digress. If a court judge were to make a ruling here, he would overrule your objection to a previously forbidden line of questioning because you, in fact, opened the door in the first place. Had you waited until the dealer killed the opponent's hand and or waited until the pot was pushed to you, you're exposing a card who would have guarded no possible reaction, and all this would have been rendered moot. You would have won the pot without her last bet uh, added to it. The problem here is you did show a card before the dealer had time to kill the other hand and or push you the pot. The hand was ruled live, and correctly, I think. It was hard not to interpret your exposing a lesser card than your opponent as anything other than an attempt to get a call from that player. I take you at your word that this was not the case. The supervisor saw a hand that was not mucked and ruled it live. Given these circumstances, though, not the worst ruling ever. The player beat the dealer to the cards, and a good number of poker rooms would hesitate to kill that hand. A hand of poker is not over until the following two criteria are met. First, all the losing hands are placed in the muck. Second, the pot is pushed to the winning player or players. All that being said, I probably would have ruled this a fold, and I would have told you to better protect your hand. At some point, moving your cards significantly forward and letting go of them without calling the bet constitutes a fold, and the future don't show any cards until the chips have been pushed to you. Huh. At first, I thought... You know that's what Elliot was sticking with that line that it was that it was not a fold because she didn't say fold she's showing a card and pushing it closer for you to see it you know what I mean and the dealer didn't grab it and now you're showing a card so you're getting in this sort of uh, you know chicken game yep. of chicken you know so I don't think it's a fold either I, I and it was it was weird because Vic's usually never so cut and dried like that when he said obviously the wrong call. I, I didn't think it was so obvious at all, to be honest with you. And then, But then, at the end, Elliot says, I probably would have ruled it was a fold. And I'm like, well, I don't understand why. He just said it doesn't meet the criteria of folding, but now he says it's a fold. And then he says that at some point it's well, no, a fold. He said it didn't meet the criteria of the hand being over. Did not say a fold, so. Oh, well, there's only one player left in the hand, so if it's not over, it means she didn't fold. When but she the folds, hand the hand's over, the right? hand wasn't in the muck yet. The hand was still unmucked. Yeah, no, I understand that. That's what I mean. So the hand's not over. Right, yeah. So that means she didn't fold. It'd be right. over if she folded. So that's why I'm confused. I, I don't understand why he would think that it's... At the end, he says, letting go of them without calling the bet constitutes a fold. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a couple things at play here. Um, one, it, it I, again, you're right. I think Vic is a little more um, written in stone here than he normally is. Um he says this is clearly an angle, and her hand should be dead. I don't think it's clearly an angle. I mean, it, it, it seems, it kind of smells like an angle, <laughs> but it's not clearly. So a lot of this hand isn't the gray thing. And then, then you have Vic exposing a, a hand, a card as well, too. So lots of things that, that could have been done differently here that would have avoided this whole um, call the floor. <laughs> right. Discussed on the show. So... Um, you know, and this is again, it, it's a tough thing. You, you, when you do things at the table that are non standard, let's use that word, right? Mm. As Elliot usually says, and, and all the good floors say, you're making the floor guess. And when the floor guesses, it's almost never going to go your way. So, um, so I can see a floor saying, yeah, it clearly sees by the way you explained it to me. That this woman intended to fold, and therefore um, you don't get her bet, and the pot goes to you. And I can also see a very good floor saying, "Hey, that card is still re- that hand is still retrievable." And as Elliot says, had you not exposed the card and given her hope that her hand was good, um, then 
the dealer would have picked up her hand, mucked it, pushed you the pot, and then we move on with life. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think it's again, it's a good reminder. Um, don't you know, just do everything standard. I know people like to have fun poker and like to play these mind games and whatever else, but whenever you get non-standard, you open the door for something bad to happen, and you can't always trust the floor is going to rule the way you think they should when you do that. So therefore, never don't give them the opportunity to have to make a ruling. The other thing, too, is I learned uh, the word tap. When we talked about that in the show before, when they were saying, I'll tap you and stuff, I, I always took it to mean like you tap a keg and you drain it. So you oh, tap. no, no. I always remember that, that, that the old guy said that was to, to tap you out, meaning yeah. to yeah, put you, not put you all in because you can't put them in, but to take all your money. So. Yeah, I know. And I, I always thought it was like the when you he's tapping, like tapping the table, says I'm all in, I tap the table, I'm betting all I got. But I always thought it meant like you tap a keg and you drain it, like you drain them of his funds. You know, you're tapping them. That's so weird. So I learned something else today. That's cool. Okay. We have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're still at that $2, $3 game at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. It's about an hour after the last hand, and we're going to be up against the same villain. And yes, he's still getting hit in the head with the deck, and still loves to trap. It's a very similar scenario here. At this point, we've got about 550 up 250 from our original buy-in. We're in the small blind and post, the big blind posts, and the villain from last week sits under the gun. He's gotten his stack up to 600, and he's going to limp. Remember, he's loose, can change from aggressive to passive, and has been running extremely well all night. There's four limpers to us, and we look down at the four of hearts, tray of diamonds, in the small blind. I know, Scott, just because something is a discount doesn't make it a deal, but there's $20 in the pot, and I have to call $1 hoping for a Ricky Ticky Tavi flop. I'm going to take those odds. We limp. The big blind checks, and it doesn't get any more ricky-ticky-tavy than this. The seven of clubs, six of diamonds, five of hearts comes down. We flop the straight, but it is the ignorant end. We still have to bet here. With about $20 in the pot, we want to punish any hands that could beat us, so we make it $20 to go. The big blind folds, the under the gun calls, but everybody else folds. Hmm, should our spidey senses be tingling here? There's roughly $60 in the pot, and the turn is the six of clubs. Even with the under the gun calling our bet, I can't be afraid of any monsters under the bed. We are going to continue our value betting here. We make it $40 to go. Once again, our opponent calls. There's $140 in the pot, and the river is the ace of diamonds. $140 is a decent-sized pot, and I'm not sure what I'd do if I got a big re-raise, so I'm going to check here. Our opponent bets $70. So, we have the low end of a straight on a paired board. It's $70 to win $210. Are we good here? What's the move? It's time for the VancePokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. This one comes from uh, John Blake. And let's see what he's up to this time. Uh, all right, he says, having a good read on my opponent is a key factor in this hand. 
It's a $20 home game tournament with unlimited rebuys up to the fourth level. Blinds are 300 to 600 with no ante. The effective stack size is 7,100, and I'm in middle position. Uh, under the gun limps. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, under the gun plus one limps for 600. He says, I played with her for years, and she will raise from any position with any pair and almost any ace or king. So when she limps, I take uh, pocket pairs, ace, ten, or better, king, queen, king, jack out of her range. Uh, and we look down at King of Diamonds, Jack of Diamonds. Uh, I hate this hand. Um, I've never liked it. I don't uh, even think Tully Savalas likes this hand. <laughs> yeah, I I don't like this hand. So, I, uh, but I I guess I'll just limp. It's weird. I mean, it, it, here's the deal: is I just don't think this is the hand. I, if I raise with it, and I'm first. You know, it's it's one thing they say you want to first enter the pot and you want to raise with it and everything because you want to, but. This is the kind of hand that I don't want to deal with brushback from. If it, I it can't, I don't think it can withstand uh, somebody behind me raising again. Or I just I'm not really comfortable. If I'm on in position or something, that's one thing. But kind of still early in this hand, so I, I don't. Right, we're not under the gun. I mean, we're not uh, the button or anything. So I, I just I, this is the hand I want to get rid of. But if I'm gonna play it. Normally, I would play hands like this for a raise if I could really read the table and know that once I raise, they're getting out of the way unless they have a huge hand. So, but I don't have that read because it's the hand of the week. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna limp along and play it, but I don't, I don't feel like raising with it. Yeah, I wish I knew how many were at the table. I guess maybe we'll figure that out later. Um, is middle of the middle of the table? Yeah, again, it, it, it kind of depends on on how active or passive this table has been. What's interesting is that the player that raises with everything limps now. So what does that mean? I mean, I don't know what that means. I mean, obviously, uh, John started this whole email off by saying having a good read on his opponent, so I'm going to trust that when he decided to take all the stuff out of her range that he's got a better read on her than I do. But yeah. um, but when I know somebody that raises with everything, uh, well, I mean, with any decent hand and now limps, um, I, I, I don't really know what that means. Um, I mean, it could mean a small pair and just trying to get a set mining. It could be something tricky. I don't know. But um, but but this is not a hand that I like to do much with. So if I can limp and see a a, um, a cheap flop and hit it hard. And then by hard, I mean more than a single pair, then that's fine. But if I'm worried that people behind me are going to raise, I'm not going to throw 600 in this and then just throw his hand away. Right. All right. Uh, Hero says, I'm sure I'm ahead of her range. With the blinds and her limp, there's 15 in the pot, and I want to isolate and play her heads up, so I make it 1,800. Um, all right. Well, you know, if he can isolate, that's fine, I guess. Again, you know, I think we're having to take his word that he knows his player better than, than we can from not playing with her. So, right. Um, all right. The cutoff calls. Whoops. That probably wasn't supposed to happen, right? Right. Her stack is 6,300. Uh, she's a loose passive player, older myself. And Scott can tell you that's pretty old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the blinds fold and the villain calls. So there's three of us to a flop with 6,000 in the pot. And that flop is 8-6 Trey Rainbow. And for whatever reason, he's telling us the Trey is a Trey of Diamonds. Um, and um, the under the gun plus one villain checks. And then that was on us. Well, we raise, so we have to bet. Uh, I think he's telling you the diamond because it means he's oh, giving you. A, 
He got yeah, half an out there, I guess, for Runner Runner Diamonds. We have two overs to the board. We have a backdoor flush draw. No straight possibilities. And we took control of this hand and got the cutoff to call. So if the cutoff is really uh, in tune to our game and knows that we may make a C-bet no matter what and then check the turn when we miss again and steal it from us, if we know that, then we have to have the gumption to bet again on the turn no matter what comes. Um, if we don't know what this player is doing, we think he's just calling because he's getting the right odds to draw or something, then we have to really uh, make a bet and then see how he reacts to that before we know what we're going to do on the turn. But I'm definitely going to bet... Um, I don't know, uh, three grand, three and a half grand, something like that. Yeah, I'm gonna have to probably bet half the pot here, um, and maybe this will play come in the play later. But you did mention unlimited rebuys up to the fourth level. I don't know what level we're in right now. So um, the real problem here is that you know the effective stack is 7100. Um, you know, we made it 1800. We already put 1800 in this pot, and now to make any kind of decent bet, it's going to be 3000, right? So. Yeah. Um, so that's 48, so that gets us down. It leaves us about 3,000 left. You know, we're pocketing ourselves, I think, pretty much with this bet now. So if that's the case, I mean, dare you say you shove here? Uh, shove with nothing. That sucks. That's the problem with getting stuck like this, right? Yeah. That's why you don't play hands that can't really. Yeah, we, may, we maybe not. Maybe we did not have enough chips pre-flop to actually make that raise. Yeah. Or at least not make that raise if we had any inkling that the one of the players behind us was going to call that made the pot as big as it did. Yeah, yeah, the limp I think is better. You get another guy to limp behind you. There's only eighteen hundred in the pot now. You can totally get away with making nine hundred dollar bet, nine hundred unit bet, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I yeah, that's tough. You're betting three thousand. You only that's more than fifty percent of your stack. Uh, it's unlikely that this flop hit anybody, right? You know, unless you know, obviously the the monsters are on the bed, the the three sets. But other than that, you know, right? It's gonna be. I, I, it's probably gonna be tougher to make a call this bet unless somebody was playing really tricky. So, I mean, I guess that's the good part of shoving here. Um, you know, if we could rebuy, if we're still in the rebuy period, that's that's an easy shove for me then, because then I can just peel off another twenty if I end up getting this terribly wrong <laughs> or somebody makes a bad call and catches um but if we're out uh, past the rebuy level then it's a little bit more difficult but you know i, I guess we can make our three thousand bed and then just uh, say we're pot committed and call whatever we have to do at the end but it's also more difficult for them to call past the rebuy period as well so there's that yeah it does work both ways um i still i'm, I'm still gonna bet I didn't. I mean, I didn't raise eighteen hundred to just go check now and watch the cutoff steal it from me. You know, right. I mean, I got some money out there, and I do have backdoor outs, and I do have over outs, and I do have control of the hand as the driving force in this. You know, if if I have the uh, reputation of being a tight player who only raises with pocket pairs that are decent size, then I know that they'll know that these are all unders, and they're not going to try to steal it from me if I make a bet. It just depends on my reputation too. That's why his hands of the week are so difficult. Um, makes it even more difficult when Scott puts seven seven on the file and he comes out with a king jack hand. I'm like, all right, oh, what are we sorry. doing? <laughs> Which hand is it? I picked the wrong hand. Um, but yeah, I, I still think I'm betting just because of the way the hand came down. So, um, let's let's bet that three grand and see what happens with with our opponents. All right, let me uh that. <laughs> um, all right, so let's see what happens here. Um. 
Uh, all right, our hero says the villain caught any part of this she would have bet. So when she checks, I think the flop probably missed the cutoff also. So I bet seven, uh, 2700 So about what we thought. A little bit less, but kind of immaterial. The other thing, too, is when he labels the under-the-gun person as the villain, he also kind of subconsciously tells us the cutoff is going to go away no matter by the end of this hand. So it's harder for us to really okay. give it a true, well, true too, yeah. analysis. But um, that's about the right bet, yeah. I don't have a problem with that, but it saves you some money, too. Yeah. All right, the cutoff does fold, and the villain calls, and he says she hates to fold. Um, I, I guess that's difficult. So if she hates to fold, now it's back up knowing that we have that kind of information. Still, the problem is that we got three players in this hand, so um, I guess that makes it more difficult to do what I said and shove if we know we're going to get called here. Um but it, just because she hates the fold doesn't mean that she always has something when she calls either, right? That's so right. I, that's that's a tough little piece of information there. But I think we still did all right. I guess we'll find out. All right. The turn is the uh, six of diamonds. So our board now is eight, six, tray, six with two diamonds. And the villain checks again. Now I shove. Yeah. You have to now, right? You yeah. Get it. I mean, he has a little more than what we were guessing because he only bet 27 instead of three or 35. But, Yeah. I mean, we've, now we've got the second nut flush draw. We have two overs, and we still have control of the hand. And whether she wants to fold or call or not, you have outs. And if she doesn't, you take that on a nice little pot and you move on. But if you're still in the rebuy period, then definitely shove. So I'm going to let it let it fly now. Yeah, because here's the thing. If you check and then something scary comes on the river, are you, you're going to let yourself think that you can fold here, right? So, and, and maybe you can. I don't know. I mean, again, we put... 5,500 in this pot already. Yeah. So, effective stack size. I mean, again, I don't know if that's our stack. 4,500. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the cutoff, he, he told us what the other two people had, right? So, I don't know. So, we've got about 2,000 left. Um, you know, that's that's kind of tough to, to pull to that point, but it's also tough to make a call with nothing at that point, right? If it gets yeah. to the river and we, we don't improve, we, we got king high. So, yeah. I think now's the time to put it in and, um, and put her to it. A decision. She hates to fold, and she's on a, I don't know, a queen high flush draw or something. That's great. There's not a lot of hands that we, other than that, that we can beat that would that would probably call there, but... Yeah, it's uh, a classic, it's the classic semi-bluff. You know, I mean, you have, you, you have the chance to win by the bet, and you have the chance to win by the river. So, I mean, in this case, you know, just because she likes to call and doesn't like to fold doesn't mean she doesn't fold. She has to fold once in a while. She can't play every single hand. So yeah. this could force her off the hand. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, it says, I'm confident that I have the best hand, and if not, I picked up the second nut flush draw, so I shoved the last 2,600 on my stack. Good good job. Yeah. Villain tanks for about two minutes and then makes the call. The river is the ten of hearts, and Oof. she rolls over queen of hearts, ten of diamonds. What? Said what? And she replied, "Well, I knew he didn't have a six. <laughs> uh, and Honda says, "Obviously, most of the time I get the better of her." In fact, last night she aggressively bet a king high board all the way to the river when I floated with four five and uh, turned trip five. So, wow, wow, queen ten. I knew he didn't have a six. What does that even mean? Because he he went all in on the turn when a six came, and then. There was a six on the flop, so if he doesn't have three sixes, my still nothing beats here. 
Yeah, that's, that's classic. My nothing has to beat your nothing in order, in order to make this call. <laughs> and it, it's kind of impossible to think that her nothing did. I mean, really, she was she was drawing the six outs there, right? Wow. One of the three remaining queens and one of the three remaining tens. Wow. Hey, when, I, when Jeannie and I first started playing poker and uh, she was still learning and I was reading all the books and everything, and I said to her, you know, there's a saying that says... You don't have to have it to go all in, but you have to have it to call an all in. Yes, and in this yes. case, this proves it wrong. You don't have to have it <laughs> to call it all in, apparently. I well, don't know. You're living right. You're living really, really right. <laughs> I mean, she was trailing his king on top of it and then hits the river that way with one card to come. And, oh, that's just nauseating. Well, and I don't know what the true lesson is here, but this is a good hand of uh, uh, showing an example of how um, when everybody's fairly limited in chips, uh, how these hands can get out of control pretty quickly right. and really make you um, difficult. So, I mean, we had, what, 10, 12 big blinds, is that right? Uh, well, 600 and we had, yeah. 70, so 7,100 is effective stack size. I didn't actually add up to see if that's what our stack size was, but probably, but... Um, yeah, I actually didn't even think about that when I was looking at that. Now that you think about that, right? So, I mean, that's probably all the more reason for us to limp and hope we get lucky or fold. And rather than once we made that raise, now we're really committed with his hand. So at that point, you might as well shove. Does she call a shove? Because you don't have a six. Yeah, she probably is. I mean, he says uh, she calls everything. So that's probably a reason at that point not to make that shove and, and to limp. And then hope we hit something. We didn't hit anything, and then we get out, and you know, we're still in the tournament. Um, but that's very difficult because once we made that raise, then you you notice how tough this rest of this hand got because you know to make a real bet, you're committed at that point. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Well, consolation is your hand of the week. I don't know if that means anything, <laughs> but I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.